audio is coming through the computer and not through my thing. I'm just trying to figure it out. You sound normal, but I think I feel like you come to the thing a lot and you're like, do I sound weird? Do I sound normal? Do I sound? How do I sound? You're like levels, levels. I don't know. Welcome, everyone, to the CatsCorner.com podcast, CatsCorner.com, your source for the sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CatsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin states in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, April the 27th. Spring ball has come and gone, and we have some thoughts, some of us more thoughts than others, apparently. Um, we're going to talk about the uh, first spring uh, of the Tony Elliott era. I almost called him Tony Bennett. This is going to be, you know, very tricky as things move forward. Um, an interesting spring game in some ways, a, a, a maybe lack of, um, fireworks in a way that maybe, um, left some folks a little concerned, but we'll, we'll get into all that. And then obviously Virginia picked up a pretty huge commitment on the basketball transfer front from, uh, Ben, uh, Vanderplas from Ohio last week or this weekend, the, uh, Ortiz, um, grand slam to beat Carolina in the 10th. And Vanderplas's commitment was literally like 45 seconds in real time from each other. It was one of the like most bang bang moments. There was that time when when the Stith brothers committed, or sorry, when BJ Stith committed. That's right, Brandon Stith didn't commit. Um, when BJ Stith committed during a football game, and that was the most harried I had been in the press box at um, uh, at Scott Stadium until until that moment. But anyway, I digress. We're going to talk about all that and more uh, before we get started. Let's go around and introduce everybody first. In Fishersville, David Spence is on the show. How's it going, my friend? Going well. I survived the tornado up here yesterday. Um, thankful. Who Dave's on the board at Who Dave's on Twitter? No, yeah. uh, nothing can we I talk had was about the fact that, like, It was like a mile away. Seriously, though, can we talk <laughs> about this? I did not know that you, there was a tornado, like a hop, skip, and a jump from your house until like today, and you didn't even tell me. Dude, like, it was it's bizarre. Like There was no warnings. It just kind of drops. And, like, there were some storms. They were like, they won't be severe, and it... It damaged some houses, knocked down some trees and t- power poles. Um, but yeah, it was literally like two miles from my sports store, about a mile from my house, um, the path. So yeah, had one friend like, kind of dinged up, but she's okay. It's like when Drake drops an album, like it doesn't tell anyone and then it's just there. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it causes damage with more damage, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, that voice you heard is staff writer Justin Ferber from Loudon. Staff writer Justin Ferber's on the program. I have to say it; I can't help it. Not uh, from Loudon. Okay, he's in Loudon, but you, but you're, <laughs> the, the source of your voice is emanating from that locality. Is the point? Yeah. Okay. Through my fancy headset. How, how, how's it going, dude? It's good. Um, you know, I had something there and I just completely lost it. But that's was it fine. about your Nobody... headset? I really hope that people hate your headset, and, and yeah, I hope, they, I hope they tweet at you about how much they hate your headset. That's fine. That's totally fine. Um, add Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. And Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates, the content items, and the occasional witty banter. Brad, I remember what I was going to say. Okay. You said the craziest press box moment was that stiff thing. 
It definitely was when we were at the ACC tournament and Tom Hanks got COVID. Okay. I said at Scott Stadium for one. I didn't we say We weren't even watching press. the game. That's true. First off, I said I said press box at Scott Stadium. Yeah. So that wouldn't negate. Also, we were not in the press box at uh in the Greensboro Coliseum that night. We were in the in the seats. We were right. in a much more dangerous place. <laughs> right. Yeah. We were we were looking around and every, all of a sudden everything was a uh, uh, was a problem. Um, Ferber, I want to just say for the record, I, I think I've mentioned this on the show. Ferber transitioned to this like new world of like everybody's a threat much quicker than I did. I was I was much more chill, and Ferber was like, "Man, I got to go. We I need to get out of you know this sea of humanity." And I was like, nah, "Well, it's also fine. I you think know, it's cool. I, if I remember correctly, it was also like my allergies or something were like weird, and I was that's like, true. I don't know if this is allergies or yeah, COVID, which I just had happen to me last week. Except yeah. it was the other way around. <laughs> um, but yeah, but um, I think I was like, I don't want to be like you know, subject X or whatever, like subject you know, X, patient zero, patient zero. And you know, sh- you know, for for folks who are tuning in who want to like you know sit back, relax, think about sports, talking about twenty twenty is probably not the way to go. So let's let's yeah, let's, let's just fast let's, forward. Uh, it's like that meme where the car is like you know getting off the highway really fast, right? Um, let's let's get off the highway. Um, all right, so spring ball is over. Um, the Tony Elliott era continues, thankfully, because that would be just a very stressful <laughs> day. Um, if he just was like, "Oh, that's it, that's it, I'm out." Um, I want to start, and I'm not doing this because I asked a question. I swear, I'm not doing this because I asked a question. I promise, I'm not. Okay, maybe a little bit, but not at all. Listen, I asked him that question about, you know, how did it sort of compare to what you expected? You know, how far along are you, and what stands out? And his answer was maybe the best answer, the most like take the um the facade down sort of answer I've I've heard from a coach in a very long time. And it really crystallized for me um why well one, why he was the pick, right? Um it's not necessarily because he's some great orator or whatever. Like that that part was you know, that's important. But it was more about his his ability to recall every single player at every spot. Um, I thought was impressive. I just thought that his methodology and sort of the way he worked through things. Um, but man, he just really threw his cards out on the table. I'm not naive enough to know to think that that was every card he's got, but I do think it was very telling. And I thought his answer was um, really genuine. I thought it was a very um, honest moment. You know, his 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 point about like, look, there's some guys that you know he wants to have both feet in the water. He doesn't want folks sort of straddling that line anymore. Um, you know, I, I think that coming out of spring ball, it's fair to say that Tony Elliott has a as good an idea of the job in front of him as he's ever had. But I also wonder how that lines up with the job he thought he took. And it sounded to me, and I'm curious to get your, your guys' opinion on this, sounded to me in the room like – Maybe not necessarily that he bit off more than he can chew, but there's more work to be done than maybe he thought there was. Dave, let's start with you. How, what did you think of that answer, and what do you think of the the paradigm here? I know what's more important. What did I think of the question? Right. <laughs> the question, ah, question no, I mean, listen. Good. If you want to, if you want to talk how great the question is, feel free. Um, you know, I'm all about that. Yeah. Look, yeah, I, I like everything about Tony Elliott so far. Um, the answer, you're right. Like it's kind of funny because if you think back to early on, first couple times he was available to the media, he really didn't know anyone. Um, so he kind of talked to generalities about the team and the guys, and he 
you know, drop Brennan's name a lot because he knew that, that one. Um, but clearly, uh, you know, things have moved forward since then. Um, and I kind of liked how, I don't know, it's, we talked about it before, you kind of get into this cyclical hiring process when you don't have success. You, you like go from a, you know, strict disciplinarian X's and O's guy to a raw, raw guy to a guy who's program, you know, kind of the next guy is kind of always opposite when you have a firing, obviously we didn't have that here. So um, you end up with Tony Elliott, who in many ways is like Bronco um, in the way he thinks of more than just what happens between the lines, but um, you know, but he does it in a more <laughs> real, uh, personable way, I guess is a nice way to put it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought what he had to say was, was interesting. You know, the fact that there's still some guys he kind of, called out for still having one foot in the water at the end of what was a pretty stretched out spring practice, the way they ran the schedule um, is a little surprising. And, um, but, you know, especially considering how many people were already in the transfer portal before he arrived. So that, that was a little surprising to me, but I kind of liked the bluntness. Like it wasn't, I think back to when Bronco came, it's like, we, we don't spend Christmas at home and that kind of thing. And obviously we saw how that season went. Um, and then, you know, I think I, I think it was Justin I was talking about it. Like, this is not a slight to any of our former coaches, but Tony Elliott might be the most normal guy that's been a UVA football coach in my lifetime. And that's no slight to George Welsh. No, I don't think George Welsh was, you know, George Welsh was an older guy. He's kind of sure he was great. I never got to spend time with him off the field. Um, so don't take this as a slight. Like, George is the guy, you know. Um, but, you know, Algro did get to meet him like you know he's he knows his football but and if you played for him you loved him evidently but the you know he wasn't <laughs> he didn't have that uh kind of connection with the media and the fans that is needed and then mm-hmm. mike london was so much that it didn't feel genuine at times you know right. especially when you don't have the right. results and then bronco we we know um so that that stuff gets me excited about him um we'll get in more of the spring game and, and what he said <laughs> overall you know how well, what he said measures what we saw, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, it's just – look, I, I, I look forward to any time I get to see him answering questions. Um, I kind of like the realism. But I, I will – yeah, I'll give him a pass on um, – I mean, I, well, that's that's not what I'm trying to say. He kind of has an advantage on learning everyone's name with the roster the size of it is. So we'll see if he's good when, <laughs> when there's 100 guys or so. Dave's like, well, technically, <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of dudes he has to remember. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think the the one thing for, before before I move over to you, I want to key on something Dave just said, which is you know the idea that he was so he's so normal. I would listen to Bronco talk, and I would I've told you this guy, told you guys this before. Like you could listen to Bronco talk, and be like that dude gets it, but he did not have the level of detail. It's almost like he was very detached from it. Like he understood a lot of it, but he was detached from it, and. If there's anything I'm I'm taking away from from spring ball is that Virginia was in a really bad spot if Bronco had continued to be the coach. Um, that's not to say that like with some of the guys who left that Virginia football would not have been better off in some ways this season, right? Um, you know they wouldn't be rebuilding their offensive line probably, right? But that there was um, gosh, this sounds terrible, but there's no other way to frame it. There was some rot somewhere in there, and you kind of you, you kind of had to. To, to, to clear that out And I'm not sure what that thing was I can't put my finger on Sort of why it went 
south the way it did. But it was very clear to me in, in, in watching this team, you know, listening to folks this spring and certainly on, on Saturday, that there was something awry. There was something amiss, right? And whatever that delta was between where it felt like it was supposed to be and where it actually was, that thing was going to grow, right? It was not that that distance was not going to get smaller. It was going to grow. And I think a lot of the way that Tony has approached this thing has helped that process, right? Like I, I feel like, you know, his he is a normal human being. And I think he's hired guys who are normal human beings who are not beholden to each other in a weird sort of hierarchical way, right? There's a lot to like about what this staff has done and certainly what um you know, the way that they approach things in, in a, in a lot of ways, I almost wonder if what you're getting from Virginia football now is what the other, like what the old staff wanted you to think it was, or maybe hoped it would be, but never could necessarily be consistently uh, there for, what do you think? How did you feel listening to that specific answer and sort of this conversation? Yeah, I thought it was a really good answer. And I think I actually texted you like right after this and was like, this was sort of my takeaway. Um, was I don't know I mean honestly like where it where things went wrong I don't know like I don't think it was like an unredeemable situation necessarily but I think that just from the comments so like just taking what Tony Elliott said recently throughout spring ball um you know what he said on Saturday after the game it just leads me to believe it sounds a lot like, and you guys can tell me if, if I'm wrong, it sounds a lot to me like what Bronco was saying when he got here, which made a lot more sense then yes. because UVA had a losing culture and it was like, all right, like I got to kind of like teach these guys that they can do this. And, and Bronco, I think was probably the right guy for that, for the job because he kind of approached it in sort of a holistic, I'm going to start the whole thing over um, culture reset. You know, and he brought in a lot of guys that um, had the right mindset and, and they won. Right. Um, or at least more than they had been. So I think that I, I said this, I think, I don't know if I said this to both of you guys or just Brad on Saturday, but the, the, the takeaway I had from what Tony was saying after the game was almost like the standard that they had set, no pun intended, because they literally like trademarked that what um, had sort of like fallen off a little bit like in the last couple seasons. And I don't think that's necessarily on any one person or the coaches only or the players only or anything like that. Um, but this was like, ultimately, I think we were talking about this in year two or three or four of Bronco, which is eventually this stuff is going to get stale, you know, like the earning everything and um, just the general way that the program was being run. Um, it wasn't bad. It's just like eventually, and this happens to a lot of coaches, like look at Al Grow, right? I mean, it was sort of similar. It was like things were good until they weren't. And then when they weren't, you all the little like underlying cracks started to show up. And I will give Broncos staff credit for bringing in a bunch of offensive talent that was able to sort of see them through a tough couple of seasons, you know, uh, with having a quarterback succession plan, which was something that their predecessors did not have. Um, and seeing that through and then bringing in skill guys. So we're like, even if things kind of do, even if there are some cracks in the concrete, like you're still winning games enough to get to a bowl game or whatever anyway. Um, and I honestly thought I had more fun watching UVA football this year than I did in some other seasons where they won more games. So um, I, I think that 
it's interesting to hear him talk about like such a reset that he has to do and like getting guys to buy in because it's like, all right, um, like where was that before? Like I kind of wonder, especially with the defensive performance um, in the last couple of seasons, like were guys all the way in, um, were they getting what they needed to get in practice? Were the coaches starting to let things sort of slip? Were they defaulting to their veterans a little too much when they weren't literally earning the playing time? Um, and, you know, I saw some – the spring game, you know, we can talk about the game itself, but um, they they looked – the energy did seem to be kind of back. Because I, I don't want to make it seem like the Bronco era was, like, terrible because there was – like, there were times when they had a role and it was like this was better – culture-wise than we'd seen in a long time. And Saturday kind of felt like that more than what we'd seen recently. What I find interesting about this whole entire discussion and something just dawned on me is like, you know, it can it can slip fast, you know? Like it can really I think really COVID slip. had a lot to do with it. And too. I agree like, and that's exactly where I was going. Is it like I feel like in a, just like a lot of other areas of life. Down. Exactly. It 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 for a lot of for a lot of people in a lot of situations, that entire time period really either exacerbated the problems that you already had, or it shined a light on, on things that were that were kind of hidden in the dark, right? Yeah, you know, it made things worse if they were bad, and it made good things less good. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you got like, you know, I, I feel like we were all guilty of kind of talking about Bronco, like he got fired, like that things were absolutely terrible. Yeah, and but, I'm really trying yeah. not to do that. <laughs> you know? yeah, but, but I mean, we kind of all feel it now, right? And I think we all kind of sensed it. Um, but yeah, the one thing is when you look at where Bronco came from at BYU, you know, when he got here, he was comparing UVA's facilities to BYU, right? And I, correct me if I'm wrong, but do you guys remember like his first spring? We were hearing rumors about how excited they were with the level of athletes we had yes. compared to yeah, what they were compared able to, to what they were used to, right? Um, so I was like, oh, well, maybe we can do something here. But, you know, so they have a different vantage point. So I think <laughs> they kind of got be the case with, with this coach. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I was going to say. Like, Tony's the opposite. So, you know, so maybe we shouldn't take it as a criticism where he was as Bronco. It's just that next step Bronco always talked about. Like, Tony's seen that next step. Bronco, no offense to him, but he's never coached a team at that level. Like he's yeah, coached and, a high and team. said that on this show, right? I mean, he was yeah. saying how like how many guys can really go into a living room and say like I've been part of a national championship team like yeah. multiple times. Yeah, so it's it you know it's just a different way of looking at the team and a different standard. And I'm like, <laughs> I know we've talked about it in text threads, but you know, I, I can only imagine. And this is not a slight to our team, but you know. They played Clemson a couple of years ago with a very good team and didn't do so well. Um, Clemson has, you know, there's different tiers of college football. Um, so I can't imagine like what his first impressions were. Um, now, some like, you know, I, I think we all kind of want to make paint everything positively when we, within, when a new staff comes. Um, to me, like after what we saw with Bronco and during his progress, like obviously they won, they won the coastal, they beat tag went to the orange bowl had a really, really good season. Um, it's, but if you remember like when he came in, like, this is our system, we're going to go tempo, tempo, tempo. We're going to run the ball. We're going to have a thorter back, all that stuff that kind of went away when he couldn't recruit to it. And the offense was much different when he left than when he pitched us at the beginning. So what I'm thinking, yeah, I they replaced keep tempo on, with, with pre-snap motion basically. Yeah. And then, you know, you saw on Saturday, like, um, clearly going to more of that Chad Morris system that Clemson runs and 
Tony's gotten famous for. Like, if you want to be an optimist, you can say, hey, Tony's got the pieces to run an air raid and score some points and win some games this year, but he's putting in his system because he wants to be here a while, right? Um, but the real what will be interesting is to see how much that system changes when if it doesn't produce results right away. Like, um, and I don't know if that's a slight on the coach or just something to keep an eye on um, to me to kind of tell me, you know, whether Tony is married to a system, whether that's a sign that he just wants to win. Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say with this other than it's just something to, to look at. Like, do all those principles start fading when games start? Yeah. If it doesn't result in wins, my guess is yes, because these guys want to keep their job. Um, but it was, it's just some parallels. I, I think you can point out some things we feel refreshing now, but we have to remember they did exist during the Bronco time too. That's a good, that's a good, uh, temperature check right there. I appreciate that because one, you know, Ferber's point about earlier, well, you know, I mean, both you guys have talked about this, right? This, th- that we're trying hard not to discuss it like he got fired because he didn't. Right, the results on the field were not necessarily continuing on the same trajectory as they had been, um, and they were what one real season removed, right, from you know a lot of success with Bryce. Um, I, I I will say though that in a lot of respects, the things that you hear and the things that you understand about like what has had to be fixed and what you know where um, sort of where things were, it's hard not to feel like that like I said before, like there was a lot that needed addressing and had Bronco had Bronco not made the decision he made. Right. Um, they would not be addressing some of those things. Right. A lot of those guys who left probably would still be there. Um, you would have had in some ways a similar sort of run it back mentality that has, you know, been sort of um, consistent for a lot of schools in the post COVID. Hey, can they use that year uh, world? Um, the thing that I find sort of fascinating by all this is that like, if you, if you listen to, to Tony talk and you, and you understand like the things he's about, they're not so dramatically different, right? From what Bronco and his folks talked about. The difference is, is like the methodology on how you get home, right? Like how you get there. Um, and, and what I find so interesting is not necessarily just the, the, the delta between who they are and, and what they are about. It's more about the places where the sim, where there are similarities and yet they are different, right? Like how they do what they do. Um, and I think what's fascinating to me too is that you have a coaching staff which is largely, you know, full of dudes who may, you know, may have run into each other here and there, but they don't have the level of, of familiarity that Bronco staff had. And yet watching them, Saturday, it looked like they've been together forever. Like it literally, I mean, I, I was hard pressed to find a moment where it didn't feel like these dudes had all been together. Um, and and I mean, what look, Bronco staff had was like exceptionally rare, exceptionally like, rare, right? almost no, almost no staff ever ever heard that I've heard of has been formed, you know, formed that right. way. Like exactly where like everybody what? just comes with him. one extra coach, right? Basically yeah. everybody else came. And so what, what Tony's got is, in some ways, like, and you could, and I think that there are fans out there who probably, whether they've done this calculus in their heads or not, they look at it and say, oh, this is like Bronco, but but in these places, it's different and better, right? So the question is, what does that mean for the long term? Um, I don't know if I'm if I'm ready to say that that's what it is or isn't. I, I just think that it's it's refreshing to me to hear a coach who gives you the answer 
And it's not devoid of the emotion that maybe is involved in it, but it's also not making more of the emotion than it needs to be made. Like, I just feel like when you ask him a question, he gives you a straight answer. And yeah. that's not to say Bronco didn't, because he did. But Bronco was not as plugged in on all the specifics, right? He was a very much a big picture, you know, pie in the sky kind of guy, right? He liked to get into the to the to the nitty gritty, but not when it came to the people, right? I don't think Bronco was that kind of guy. Bronco was not going to be at a. I a mean, press he conference. said so much. He's an introvert. Like, yeah, you know, Bronco would come to a press conference and he would he would look down at names, and I'm not knocking him for that. I'm just saying that that is a thing about him, right? Whereas. You know, Tony's listing off dudes left and right. He not only understands sort of like where they are in the pecking order, but he understands like what he needs from each guy. And I just thought that was refreshing. Um, certainly on the field, the offense wasn't refreshing. <laughs> the offense was problematic. Um, you know, I understand, you know, look, this was on the ACC network. There's no reason to to throw up a bunch of bells and whistles uh, for everybody to look at on film. Um, you don't need Brendan Armstrong to go out there and give you a bunch of reps and see, you know, everything he can do. Um, that being said, that first half was was kind of dreadful at spots. Um, as and it and in Ferber and I, I think both made this point, like on Twitter. It's like y- it's hard to take, but so much away from it because the offensive line is such a work in progress. And I don't know if you at this point you can. This is like if if that is the you know the beta version of the offensive line that you're going to have and and come fall this was like the one before that right like this is the one you can't even test yet right this is the one you you if you're if you're developing the app you can't even put this alpha in the in the in the wild right it's got way too many bugs and it's going to crash everything um overall dave now that you've had a chance to really you know digest it all any what did the offense leave you feeling i mean first of all in, in- just to be straight up honest, I didn't. I watched a little bit of the game on Saturday, but I watched. It was my daughter's birthday. We did that thing. How dare I watched you? The whole thing. So I didn't watch it on Saturday. I watched it later. Um, I said now that you've had a chance. I, I, bet, I to, bet it looked but, about yeah. the same. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, if anything, because I kind of already seen some highlights, I kind of knew what to expect. But uh, yeah, I mean, the offensive line is just hard to assess a whole lot on a line. Um, but also like the offensive play calling could not have been more vanilla. Like they weren't even like, they're like, look, there's not a whole lot of pre-snap motion in in that offense, but there's a little, uh, (laughs) they were just lining up and snapping the ball every time. And I think what you saw in the second half was more like what the offense will be like than the first half. As far as like, they ran some stuff in the second half. They didn't run in the first like they figured the other coaches wouldn't be watching when Brennan wasn't in the game. Um, like the very first play of the second half when, when Paris took it 75, they went like two tight ends, like big jumbo package we hadn't seen the whole game. Um, but that's in that's in that system. Um, but anyway, like, yeah, obviously just it's so hard to tell. Um, you know, Brennan, Brennan not being able to run, we, we, you know, that, that kind of negates a lot of the offense. If, if anything, it's just – if there's clarity, like just to sum it up and stop with the verbal diarrhea here, um, it's the – That's kind the of what a podcast is, though. I it mean, is. Really. Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> Title. You know. Um, the, the offensive line is going to be the key to the season, right? Like they've got to figure that out. They've got a couple grad transfers, but not all those always show up on campus, right? So you got to – you got to kind of – hope you everyone shows up or you add some more reinforcements um i do think and there's you need some them to be lights. at least average you know yeah 
yeah, I mean, I think you've got some pieces to work with. Like Josie looks like the real deal. Um, Leach obviously has got experience and played all over the place. So there's a few pieces to work with. You just need to add a few more. Um, you know, it's a long season. You got to have some depth built in. If they can get that right, the offense should be fine. It'll. I don't expect to see. I don't expect to see um, as many points per game as we scored last year. Uh, but I think we won't give up as many as well because the defense, the only other part, like I was encouraged by what I saw with the defense because they just looked like they understood the scheme a little better. Um, guys were in place more. Like there was a couple of missed tackles here and there, but there weren't any. Year, I mean, I, we said the offense is vanilla, but there weren't really any like broken plays, like where guys yeah, were just wide for, open they, and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, Paris is there was a miss that that was just on Paris poor individual but, play. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we were used to that. That's what we saw a lot of last year. Yeah. But you know, we saw less of that. And to be honest, like you know, as much as the offensive line, I think you know we, we need to see development. I was a little surprised by some of the production I saw from the defensive line, but I have to take it with a grain of salt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, I still wouldn't add mine adding another body there. I thought the linebackers yeah. looked good, yeah. and I thought the secondary looked better. So there's some positives if you want to spin them that way. Um, but all in all, it's like you know, spring games are what they are. Yeah. <laughs> You get excited because they someone made a play, and you're like, "Oh, they made a play because our offensive line sucks, or they made a play because our defensive backs are terrible." Um, you can't take them so much. Yeah, but, there's no positive without a negative. Right? No, uh, only thing I was thinking is, thank God Brennan came back because who would be quarterback in this team right now? Would Tony yeah. Elliott be all like rah rah, go play baseball, Jay, or would be like, hey, "Well, Jay. no, I think I think <laughs> you'd have a quarterback that would be." A person that's not on the roster. Yeah, you'd have a grad transfer who came in because I bet you, you yeah, could sell you, that. And they probably would have had a pretty well. I don't know if you would have gotten the receivers back, though. but like he wouldn't have been here for spring. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, most of those guys can't come in, especially since Tony got here so late. Brendan didn't make his decision till late either. So yeah, yeah it's so yeah. Just thank God he's well. Back. He didn't um, announce his decision until later. That doesn't but, necessarily yeah. mean he didn't make it. And if he had made it, if he had made that decision earlier. And actually, that would have been a pretty order. big giveaway if they're like out recruiting <laughs> yeah, grad so, transfer. I mean, it happens, you know, it happens yeah, it sometimes, does. you know, the, the point guard that you were thinking about getting, you don't even, you know, try to keep we going don't have after to talk then, about that. All right. Yeah. yeah like, most important development for me was Malachi Fields scoring the touchdown. One of the, <laughs> the rest of this year. Yeah. One of six. I mean, That's honestly, great. like not to, not to take your segue away, Brad, but basically my takeaway from the game was, Everything you just said about Tony and the press conference and everything that he's done since he became the head coach is refreshing. And then I think the game itself was sort of a reality check. Yeah, right? that's fair. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, like everything sounds really good. Like, you know, you won the press conference and all this good stuff. And like, you know, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say like um, with no 2023 recruits in and like he got his like offensive lineman that he needed, you know, signed. Um for signing day, but like, it's not like all of a sudden they're just reeling in five stars left and right. Um, so I'm not saying like everything's just perfect, but at the same time, like everything, a lot of what we've seen in the off season has been very encouraging. And then you get this game and you're like, okay, like there's still plenty of work to be done. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be bad. It's just, um, like I'd rather be in their position right now than, than like Virginia techs with a new coach and like a bunch of like their best players, not back. Right. So I think Brendan being back is kind of like an equalizer. And I think it gives the staff a little bit of a, like some runway to do what they need to do this year and then try to lean on them. Like the guys that are back to 
hopefully play as well as they have. Um, and then you can, you know, uh, develop your culture kind of in the background while those guys like get you to a bowl game this year and you can keep some momentum going and recruiting and things like that. Instead of like, um, I mean, I don't think Bronco staff ever would have been like, you know, killing it on the trail or anything like that, but that first two intense season kind of killed a lot of the momentum that they had tried to, you know, they were doing a lot of the same stuff where it's like culture building and like, it's, you know, a new day and then they went two and 10. So it's kind of like, all right, you know, maybe, maybe this is going to take longer than we thought, or, or, you know, it's not as much of a slam dunk as we thought it was. I don't think that'll happen to the staff with, with Brennan back and a lot of these other guys back barring, you know, rash of injuries. So I think it gives them a little bit of runway, but yeah, like the offensive line is a question mark. Um, you know, Dave, you mentioned like they have some of their guys that they're going to start or not there yet. Um, others were hurt, which is definitely uh, just as relevant. I think people need to realize like the guys that played in the spring game, aren't the only guys on the roster that aren't grad transfers or freshmen. So, um, you know, they, hopefully they'll get some of those guys back, but yeah, I mean, they need to get depth there and they need to find the five guys that fit. Um, and you know, like you couldn't really evaluate the running game. Um, but I, I like both of the running backs. I thought they both had good moments. I, I like their talent. Um, but I feel like they're kind of missing something um, there. You know, like I, I know Tony Elliott's offense has a lot of pass catching running back stuff in it. So I'd like to see somebody, maybe Xavier Brown comes in and plays um, or Perry Paris Jones plays. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, uh, I think the talent is there in the places that we expected it. And I saw like, like Dave mentioned the defense. I was encouraged. Um, I thought Aaron Falmui, like was the guy that kind of stood out to me. I was like, oh, this is what he looked like two years ago, you know, yeah, three years ago motivated. before COVID. Um, and now it seems like maybe he's reinvigorated a little bit. Um, and I know that, you know, they like Mike Green and um, he he had some moments and and some of the, the secondary is like a bunch of new guys. Um, so that'll be interesting in itself. And, and I did, I like the way that they were playing, but um, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of hard to evaluate with the offensive line where it is. And uh, there's still some, you know, scheme stuff that they're going to have to install. And Brennan didn't seem as like in his comfort zone as he normally did um, last year. So that'll be something to kind of watch, but I'm not worried about him. Brennan um, also yeah. in his defense played like every snap of the half. Yeah. Like, so, and, <laughs> and another thing tell. too, is like, it's the Ryan Fitzpatrick syndrome where like Ryan Fitzpatrick famously in practice, like throws a million interceptions because it's practice and he just doesn't, he doesn't have like the fear of throwing picks. Um, and he throws a lot of picks in games too, but you know, like, you don't like, you know, it's not a real play. So it's like, oh, well, I'll try to fit this one in there. Or like, oh, let me see what happens if I do this or like try to do this thing. Um, <laughs> let me see what happens if I do this. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, the guy's like double covered and it's like, well, maybe if he breaks his route off, I can like, and if he throw a pick, like who cares? It doesn't matter. Um, so like, you know, in a game, Let's you might be happens. a little bit more like go through my progressions. Um, and yeah, I'm sure he'll be fine. And hopefully the guy that kind of, um, I'm not disappointed in any way, but like, I hope that he gets where he needs to be. Cause he's not there as Davis. Davis. Like he yeah. just looks hurt. Like he looks like a guy coming back from injury. So he also looked like a guy who thought this is spring practice. I'm not getting it. Yeah. And that's practice. fair. Yeah. That's fine. I mean, I'm not, he, he wasn't like horrible or anything. I just didn't see like any real like, like explosiveness, you know? Um, and I can see why, like they're they're talking about like Malachi kind of taking some of his time. Um, part of that's Lavelle coming back, and I think part of that is like Malachi emerging as a starter. Mm. 
I want to say one thing on the def- on the offense before we move over um, to the defense. Um, I-, I feel like in some ways, because of the offensive line, you know, this is the whole, you know, typical spring. Well, it's hard to take away too many hard takes, right? Um, I did think that Brennan looked um, – he probably looked more uncomfortable than I expected him to look. Um, and it's one of those things that's like when you look at this on paper, you say, oh, they get Brennan Armstrong back, great. They've got a whole bunch of wide receiver talent back, great. Um, I didn't expect to walk away thinking, man, Grant Mish might have a huge season, but you know, I kind of walked away thinking, man, Grant Mish might have a huge season. Um, realistically though, I don't, I mean, as much as the offensive line is important, I, I feel like one of the things that has not happened in this program in a while has been coaches putting the ball in the running back's hands and asking the running back to like win. You know what I mean? Like win some one-on-ones, like go out there and make some plays. And that's one thing this offense is going to ask them to do. Um, now clearly they're, they're short on bodies going into this game. Um, and they're not going to be, you know, in a similar spot next year or this fall, but I just feel like, um, an offense that actually has some balance, um, you know, that, that would be interesting to see, but without allowing Brennan to run, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard to take away, but so many things and to the point about him playing every snap, I mean, it was hot. I mean, you know, everybody on that side of the stadium in the sun knew knew how hot it was. Um, it was warm, so you know that's not exact. I mean, you're you're not used to even in you know your your mid season condition. You're not expecting to play every snap of a game. Um, but anyway, let's move over to the defensive side because we do want to talk about um, Vanderplas picking UVA, and we're already like thirty six ish minutes in. Um, <laughs> this is going to sound so bad, and I don't mean it to sound bad. But that was a competent defense. And I'm going to be honest, watching them actually make tackles, it was, it, 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 was, it, was, it was eye-opening to me how eye-opening it was. I was talking to David Teal after the game, and he was talking about how, you know, at, at Tech spring game, there was just like dudes missing tackles left and right. And the UVA, there was very, you know, they were just very fundamentally sound. And you can tell that, like, they didn't do – a whole lot this spring other than like the things that they did, if that makes any sense. Right. Like whatever, whatever the the plan was for the defense, it was very focused and clearly um, it, it took hold. I thought that the defensive backfield looked like it had more dude op, like options back there, just more dudes um, than I've, than I've seen in a long time. I thought the linebackers were solid. I really liked what I saw from James Jackson. Um, I think that kid's going to be a player. Um, the defensive front, Played better than I expected. Faumui does look like he's been sort of reinvigorated, rejuvenated. Um, I came out of this kind of like, oh, okay, so the defense is not going to be quite as rough as I thought they would be given all that they lost and sort of the lack of development at a handful of positions. Um, overall, Dave, defensively, obviously Faumui's a big standout and stuff, but did this spring and, and sort of what you saw in the spring game change your point of view on what Rudd and, the, and, the, and his bunch are doing? I mean, I don't know if I had a point of view to start with, but like I'm much more encouraged than I was at the end of last year. You know, when, when I was advocating for a new defensive coordinator prior to having to find a new head coach. Um, like I, I don't, I still don't quite know what the base scheme is going to be. Like it's going to be a lot of three down linemen. I think um, I'm just, this is an ode to Mike Barber here. Um, so, but I think you've got very competent pieces. So if the defense, if the guys we saw you know, on Saturday can stay healthy for the year, this defense has enough pieces to be 
average to above average. And that's no slight because they were well below average last year. Um, like Carter, whose name we don't mention enough just because he's a disruptor. Like he's Cyborg, good. Some would say yeah. juggernaut. Yeah. Some, some would say juggernaut at least. Um, but you know, he's a good piece. And then you add him with Famui, who seems motivated and you know, you need some depth there because it's a long season, but um, you know, Sue shows some flashes. So I like some of the pieces in the defensive line, you know, if Bryce Carter can get healthy, Jack Camper can kind of come along, um, maybe add another defensive lineman through the transfer portal. If you can, that helps that linebacker. I'm pretty happy with all the pieces. Chico, I thought looked really good, especially having missed a year. Um, and then, you know, you saw a little bit of flash into Sean Perry and, Horton, I still don't know what his role is. Not to talk, I'm just going to name every player on the defense at this point. Um, but I mean, I guess my point is, you've got a solid player at each level, you know. So you know, Carter slash Famui and the defensive line, you can depend on. You got Nick Jackson in the middle, who is just a solid, solid. So I good. feel like he gets like no like respect. No, he's kind of like he just Mike gets, he's like, like he's just so Bears. silently there. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's like Singletary on the 85 Bears. Like, he, everyone knew his name because of his crazy eyes. But if he didn't have the crazy eyes, they would have been talking about everyone else. Um, but he made all the plays. And then on the defensive backfield, like, Anthony Johnson looks really good. And Clary might be something. Um, I really, I like really liked him out of high school, and it just hadn't really worked out for him yet. Well, yeah. So And, and yeah. also, let's, let's just be frank. It's just refreshing seeing different people playing in the defensive mm-hmm. backfield. Um, I know cornerbacks are supposed to have short memories, but fans don't, and it's just nice seeing seeing different guys. So, like overall, I'm encouraged by the defense, and um, you know, Rodzinski seems to like he's not married to one system. He seems to be putting guys in places to make plays that, and you know, we'll see. Like, can the but the ultimate test for the defense is just going to be staying healthy for the season. Um, but I mean, I think if there's a net plus, <laughs> the def- you know, if there's one positive for me on Saturday, other than Malachi, was was the defensive play. Um, just because, honestly, last year not only was the defense struggling, like it just seemed like they were in their heads so much. They looked confident, you know, um, and hopefully that continues into the fall. Yeah, last year it was like they were they were like a pitcher that just couldn't like find the plate, you know? Yeah. Like, and it was like everything you try to do just doesn't work. Um, and, and you yeah, can even just, feel that in the stands, right? Like we were all like, oh, God. It was really hard to get like uh, the, the the thing that stands out to me the most from last season. And this is like a throwaway play. But remember early in the game against Wake, they like went forward on like fourth and five at like the five yard line and didn't get it. And it was like, well, like if you, you can't, you just like can't have empty possessions with this defense. Oh, yeah. Like they, and they, they, I think they got down to like the five yard line twice in the first quarter of that game and had three points. And then that, I mean, that's a big reason they lost that game because they just weren't matching wake. Um, And yeah, I mean, like they just, it was hard to get off the field and, you know, I think what I saw on, on Saturday that I liked was just effort and, and like trying different things and, guys you know they seemed a little bit more focused and you know like running around to the ball and excited to get stops and i think the thing with with bruds defense this year is he's probably gonna try some things and fail um but he seems willing to try different things right um 
you know, as, so as like maybe maybe he'll same, maybe he'll try yeah. some two man front and they'll get exploited in the run game and then he'll get away from that um, or whatever. And and I to Bronco and their staff's credit, they did make a change on their defense last year, but it ultimately did not work. In fact, it probably made things worse. Um, so I mean, I'm hoping that he can tinker enough with what he's got this year and um, hopefully, you know, like in the years to come, they can recruit some guys that are ACC caliber defense in defensive players at all three levels and get back to what they were doing a few years ago. Last thing on the defense, I think Carter is going to be a stud. Um, and I don't ever use that word. Like I'm kind of allergic to it. Cause it's, I just, I just never have, um, I don't and know. If I you're good that, at that spot too, it's like, you're not going to get a ton of like, no, you're not going to yeah, get like a ton right. of attention because you're not right. going to be getting like 11 sacks. You're just going to be like doing your job. You exactly. Know? And you're that's that's one of those spots where coaches from a po- you know opposing coaches talk about on Mondays or whatever. Right. Like, oh, man, if you watch this kid on film, you can see he's really doing the job. Disruptive. But also, exactly. Yeah. You'll notice people around him doing, you know, getting stats. And that's I mean, he is he's a force. And also he's a very large human. Um, I, I can't put into words how like big that kid has gotten. Um. All right, let's let's transfer over to the no pun intended. Man, that was such a good segue. Um, let's transfer transition over to hoops where uh, Ben Vanderplas uh, commits to UVA. Um, sounded like in the hindsight that maybe this one was more sealed up than we thought it was earlier in the week. It sort of felt like maybe this thing would, had gotten away from UVA a little bit, um, but it, it, it comes back to the Hoos. And I mean, it's certainly an intriguing addition uh, with Kihei back. Certainly, um, you know. Your, what you were looking for in the transfer market changes. Um, and if you're you're going to get a guy um, like Vanderplas, having a guy who's only going to play one year makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm curious how we think this is all – like what, what do we think of the, the experiment that is Virginia's roster, which is essentially like a whole slew of dudes who were, who were there last year, um, some freshmen and one guy who has not played the pack line. Or at least Tony's version of it. I, I can't speak to you know what Vanderplas has played his whole career or whatever. Well, um, we know his dad did. <laughs> well, that's very true. That's very true. Um, I mean, it, it feels like on the outside, you know, like there's a lot of there is some upside to this. Um, but I don't know, like if this fundamentally changes the team. Uh, Ferber, let's start with you on this one. What's what's your your general sense of Virginia adding Vanderplas? Or VP, BV, BVP, as I like to call yeah, it. Yeah, he's definitely BVP, replacing Bradley Van Pelt, the former Colorado State quarterback. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, obviously, I think he's a good player. Um, he yeah, obviously, you know, played well against UVA in the tournament a couple of years ago. And um, I knew, like, before he went in the portal this year that he was kind of stepping up into a larger role there because Jason Preston had moved on to – I think he was with the Clippers um, – and yeah, I mean, solid player. My question when he was, when he, you know, jumped in the portal and then UVA was in the mix and then they got the visit was how does he fit with this team? Like, I think, how do I say it? I think a lot of times fans think about transfers as like, how does this player help my team? But it's also, how does this team fit this player? Like, how did, how is this good for him? Right. So I think the relationship probably helped get this done um, because ultimately um, I think it's a good situation for him, but I think ultimately he might have been able to find something a little better for him, like basketball fit wise um, 
out there, but that's, you know, that's his call. I'm sure he feels good about the decision and I think he's going to be good, but um, I'm interested to see how they use him. You know, I think he can, he can do some pick and pop stuff and um, I hope that he can bring some rebounding that they, that's kind of like an underrated part of why they weren't as good this year. That's um, a good it, point. That's a really they gave good up point. a lot. It felt like they gave up a lot more second chance opportunities. Um, I remember like the, the game against Carolina stands out to me as like, it felt like they had a ton in the tournament. Um, but yeah, I think he's going to fit. Um, you know, one of the things that the knock on him is like perimeter defending. So like, I don't know how they're going to use him in terms of like what position he's going to play. And um you know, I when they were recruiting him before Kihei decided to come back or announced that he was coming back, I said you almost have to treat him like a two or a three. That's just big. Um, you're gonna you're gonna bring him in to shoot, um, and he could maybe play technically as a three with Franklin at the two, um, but you're really gonna be stretching the floor with him and trying to spread defenses out. And I still think you'll see some of that because Gardner doesn't really operate outside. You know, he's gonna be more around the grim and in the mid range. Um, I, I think he's a quality addition. I'll save the passing thing for Dave. Cause I'm sure he's going to want to talk about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, good, good player, good addition helps the team. Uh, I'm just interested to see how all the minutes fit together and you know what that looks like. I don't think adding a good player makes it worse though. I think that people are just going to have to, and we're going to talk about this a million times between now and November. I think people are probably going to have to get used to the idea that the freshmen might not play as much as they thought, um, which isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. Um, You know, if you're trying to be competitive, it could create some issues down the road (laughs) if they don't play enough. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's going to be very competitive for time. I think, especially yeah. in the middle of the roster, the, you know, three, four, two, three, four spots. Dave, I'm going to set you up on something here. Um, first off, I'm, I feel like anytime you can have three point shooters around a guy like Jaden Gardner, it makes everybody better. So I get from that standpoint, why having a shooter out there helps. Right. And you think about like who, who they're losing, um, you know, who, you know, like, it makes sense on that level, right? But here's the thing. This is almost, please, people don't roast me when I say this. Um, like, this is almost Tony Bennett's, like, best case scenario, which is, like, I, I, I've always thought that in Tony Bennett's, like, ideal world, he has 13 dudes he can trust, right? And that it does, and because he talks about this a lot, right? keep waiting for your opportunity. You never know when your number is going to get called. He he wants everybody ready to be a major contributor every night, right? He wants to be able to trust all his dudes and be able to make whatever salad he needs to make with whatever ingredients that are required that night. And to the idea that like the freshmen might not play, they might not play as much, but also too maybe the veterans don't play as much because Tony is willing to move the pieces around. I feel like the worst thing that can happen for him is to have like five guys who basically play all the minutes and there are no, there's no wiggle room, right. For getting yourself out of mismatches, right. There's no, there's no, there's no other chess move to make. Like I'm reminded of that Duke game. Right. And at the end, Tony's like, well, we were just really hoping they wouldn't go small because they knew they just didn't have an answer. You know, it's, it's, it's in his ideal world. It is to have just a room full of dudes who he can put together in any context, right? And they just all play well together because that's just the way it works. I'm not sure if this is that group, 
but I think this is closer to that group. What do you think, Dave? How how was how the Vanderplas news sitting with you? Personally, very well. Like, I love the guy's game. So when I saw we taught up, you know, I remember him from playing against him, obviously. Um, but when it when it's when we uh, were mentioned in his recruitment, I was like, oh, that's a little strange because that's not what I remember. But um, went and watched more of them. And then, like, I can talk myself in anything being positive for Virginia, but I really – what it boils down to is like, when did this team struggle? When did last year's team struggle? Right. It's when Franklin wasn't making threes. Right. Or when Gardner had to go to the bench, because let's say Franklin's playing decent. When Gardner goes to the bench, what do you do? Who's your four on the, on the roster? Um, you can say coming in, you got Isaac Trout, you got maybe Leon Bond can play it, but Bond's probably not going to score a lot as a freshman trout. You're almost the opposite. Like you're counting on the score because you don't know where his defense is. Um, and then, you know, when Gardner's in and Franklin was struggling, who was filling that third spot? Was it Tane Murray? You know, obviously at Igor last year too. But this, to me, like Vanderplas, because he's a one-year – if he's a two-year guy, I'd be a little more on the fence about it. But he, because he's a one-year guy and he can kind of help play some four when Gardner needs to go to the bench because Gardner was much better when he could keep him at 20, 25 minutes a game than he was when he had to play 30. Um and it gives you a little bit of lineup versatility. So, you know, you got them there. If if you're – I think I think Vanderplas and, and Vanderplas and Gardner can play together because of how ridiculously good he is at passing the ball. Um, you can go back to that Sods offense and keep those two on one side. You can, you know, you, you can have – you can have Vanderplas, like, initiate the offense. He's that good of a passer, especially if you're setting good screens and getting, getting movement. Um He's basically going to be what you hoped Igor could have been next year for this team if he stayed. Um, except he's got a little more motivation, right? Like he's shown he can score a little bit. He's a big guy. We, we have to assume he wants to continue playing past college. And from what I can, what I've seen watching him, the two things he needs to work on to play into the NBA or G League or wherever he might go, Europe, is he needs to get a little better from three, which yeah. Um, just a little better. Just a little, like a couple percentage points. He, yeah. he becomes at his size becomes relevant, but he also needs to show he can defend. And if you look at how Sam Hauser developed, you know, like I still got on him for effort. Um, and then you think of Gardner beginning of this year versus end. So if you've got a guy that can come in who's motivated to do that for one year, if he can be an average defender on the perimeter where he just slows the guy enough and down enough for the pack line to do its magic or, you know, Caden or, you know, Caden or Trout, whoever's in there to kind of protect the rim. I, I, I don't really see any negative to it. Like if, if there's going to be a negative, it's, it's minutes that maybe McNeely would get or, or bond or Don or, or any of the freshmen. Um, but the, the reverse of that is those guys get to go against some really good dudes in practice for the yeah, next year. Yeah, that's what I right? said the other day. Practice is going to be wild this year. Um, so, I mean, I like the roster. I think it's not – I mean, if we, we always joke like the way you, you – know, or at least I think we've talked about this on the podcast, but like when Virginia adds pieces, I think Virginia fans go back to look at 2019 like, oh, which one is he in that cast, right? Yeah, that's fair. 
Yeah, um, I think that's fair. Yeah, um, there's a lot of comparing it to that team. I tried not to do that too because that team was just so good at so many different things that like most college yeah. basketball teams aren't. Well, I think what like, you have to do three dudes who could just light it up from. Yeah, three. you could argue rare. that like 2014-15 team was as talented but at different pieces, right? Right. The one thing is missing, and we can't can't deny it on either team. The one thing that's missing is that. And maybe it's Shedrick because uh, the 2019 team didn't really have that. You know, Jay Hub wasn't playing a lot. Um, is that Darian Atkins, Mamadi Diakite, a kill defensive Mitchell piece. stopper kind of? Yeah, you know, that guy, guy who didn't yeah. need the ball and can make an impact. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, look, you can you can work the math. Like, you know, if, if you can get Kihei down to Kihei is probably going to still play 30 minutes a game, most likely 30, 35. Uh, if you can get Reese in that same range, um, if Franklin makes shots, he plays. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Um, you got McNeil. Like, there's enough minutes to go around. So, yeah. I'm not too worried about that piece, especially for one year. And I don't know. Like, I mean, I felt like I, I don't know that you can build your program around being f- fearful that someone's going to transfer because someone might transfer because you lose a lot too. Um, so there's an offside. Yeah, or they just don't too. want to be there for whatever reason yeah. or NIL. Or if you, you, or know, if you want to keep them and you own a business, there's a ways to make it happen. I'm just yeah. saying. I <laughs> also think we don't, we never talk about this, but like, and I'm, I'm not knock on wood, but like, and yes, there have been some significant injuries late in the season, but UVA hasn't really had to deal with a lot of like, oh, the, you know, you look around college basketball, like, oh, this dude's out for like three months or this That's guy's out Justin for six underscore weeks. Ferber. Okay, that's at yeah. Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. Okay, just yeah, I mean, like, bring him your hate because our dudes walk around in boots all the time, man. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I kind of wonder, so like, true. I don't know, I don't know if there's any way to like prove this, but I kind of wonder if like style of play might help them. Like, there's yeah, not as fair. many like scramble drills. There's not as much run out stuff. Like, I don't know. There's, there's no flying no, around. Yeah, yeah. There's no yeah. science to back that up, but like, um, you know, there's not as many fouls, so fouls lead to injuries. Um. But yeah, I mean, like the redundancy and having multiple guys, like it can't, like you know, you're if Jaden Gardner was like out for the season without Vanderplas, it's like, what are they gonna do, <laughs> you know? Um, well, that's a that's one of the the great parts about you know Tony's whole entire philosophy, right? Until the, he had that Exodus season, right? And we talked about this like further. That was you and me, I think, on a podcast like several weeks ago, right? The idea of like that they've now almost like come full circle because you know, when all those dudes left and they were so shorthanded, you know, they decided, okay, we're going to, we're going to fill the roster and we're going to just take the hits. And then they did that and they had dudes leave at the wrong times because you know, guys that they had developed because they couldn't play. And so then they stopped necessarily using all their scholarships. Well, now they're almost at the other end of that, which is like, look, we're just going to use all of the scholarships we got. We're going to bring as many talented people as we can we're gonna and you just know some of them teams. are going to leave, and you know guys are going to leave, and you also are you you feel assured that you're going to be able to go in the portal and find, and a you can of go, you can help. replace them. It's a self, you know, it's like a, it's just a, it's literally just a revolving door at some yeah. level. Like, but I mean, like yeah, like this sucks for Tane Murray probably more than most. Um, like adding another wing, um, yeah, because right. he kind of gets lost in the shuffle. But you know, you don't want him to leave. You hope he develops into Joe Harris. But if he does leave, there's another Tay Murray in the portal. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. I mean, frankly, if Kihei had decided not to leave, right? Excuse me, if Kihei decided not to stay and he had left, right? He had decided to move on. You know, they could have continued to be in the portal looking for a guard and they probably would have gotten one, right? 
uh, especially once the London Johnson thing for 22 didn't work out. I just feel like if you look at this roster, it is a Rorschach test of all Rorschach tests, right? Because you have so much experience coming back, and you've added a, a really experienced piece who does the thing you need him to be able to do. It's just that you would rather have that guy be like a bouncy 3-4 type and not like a kind of stretch for uh, poor man's big man, right? Like or, or, like, be, or like if Kihei wasn't back, a uh, two that like right. his job is just to rain threes on people. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, it's good for them in the sense that they now have more talent. And I do think, as I said before, that like this gives Tony the ability to move chess pieces around, especially if the freshmen are any good, right? If they're ready to play, um, I, you know, you guys are talking about minutes. I don't think that we've ever seen a UVA team where minutes didn't matter more than this one. Like, we can focus on how many minutes this guy's going to play or whatever. I, I, I just think game to game, like, I, I could see this having some wild, just wild swings. Um, granted, you're going to have a few guys who are going to be like the stalwarts, right? But I think you're going to see some games where dudes play a lot and then some dudes, some games where dudes don't play at all. I think that's that's absolutely in, on the table with this team. I think that's yeah, I mean, yeah, we did see that a little bit in that 2019 yeah. team with like Jack Salt, Mamadi, Braxton Key. Those guys like rotating depending on matchups. Depending and on matchups. Like and I think I really think that's where Tony is, is at, at his most comfortable. And frankly, it, it's where you allow him to be the coach that he is, right? Figuring out Tinkering. how to, you know, exactly. Like he likes to do that. You know, we know earlier in the season, like he's going to play with the starting lineup and we, you know, you get used to that. And this past season, he did more of that, you know, kind of tinkering with the rotation than he had in past years, because I think he, he knew he could, he was, he was out there, you know, looking through the desert, trying to find a drink of water, right? He was trying to find a thing that he could not find. And then ultimately just was like, all right, this is who we are. We're going to have to, we're going to win or lose doing this. Um, but I still think that his his post game uh, after the loss to um, in the NIT, like his post game and his his whole methodology and and how he delivered that message, it was like I'm not saying that there were not press conferences where Tony Bennett was frustrated this year, but that was a call to arms, right? It was a signaling of a of a new of a change, right? Like he was not the same in a lot of ways, the same coach that you had seen for weeks and weeks and weeks, months and months, right? Like he would some of those losses would be rough and and he not saying he was happy about it, but he was not like apoplectic, right? In this situation, he was Yeah, it's very like an under, a recognition of what it is. It's like, right. all right, well, that's just who we are. That's like, just who just we are. And then good. once they didn't have to be that anymore, once he could like look forward to the future, he was not mincing any words. And I don't think he did that with the players either. Um it, and I mean, look, you can look at the guys in the portal and 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 certainly the um the way things have played out since then. Uh, but you look at this roster, it is full of dudes who you can move pieces around, you know? Granted, he's going to need to get more out of the guys that are, you know, among those pieces, but that goes back to what he said, you know, after that game, right? Like, I, you know, you're going to have to decide how much work you're going to put in. Because ultimately, I think he wants to be able to move those chess pieces around. He just needs the dudes to put in the work to get there. Um, so we'll... And yeah, we'll it'll, it'll be interesting to see, like, how... Um how flexible he'll be with like uh not to make another like kihei episode but like you know a lot of people were like he would function better on this team if you know he played less and then you can open the door for some of the young guys to still play and then reese kind of gets to play more at the point guard position um and i agree with that but my counter to that is like we haven't seen tony like take kihei out of the game like that um, and there not just one him. game. Yeah, I got you. I feel you. There was this. Well, you know what I mean? Game? Like he he goes with his Wake guys that, that are his guys. Right. Yeah. 
and I was at that game. I don't know what happened there. I think he had three fouls. Like he had like a third no, foul. It like, was also because what's his name? Half. Williams was backing him down. Right, and just, yeah, they just yeah. Every time he's in, they just post him up. But here's yeah. here's my counter argument. Like we, we, I've seen so many like board discussions and everything else about Vanderplas and where you sh- whether you should have gotten them. Like, but the essentially you traded Igor Milicic for Vanderplas. And I don't know how That's the argument changes. Yeah. No, I don't yeah. know how the argument changes. Like, so if you're saying you can't have BDP because you're is costing the freshman minutes, then what was Igor going to do? Because you're already mad he didn't play enough this year, right? And yeah. I, look, I, I agree. Like, I wanted to see more Igor this year, but would you take Igor year two in our system after what you saw last year over? Well, okay. Uh, Vanderplas year one, probably not. But <laughs> I'm not, is, my question is, is like offseason fodder. I don't want to get too deep into this. We yeah, should keep I don't, this for another it's week. Just, <laughs> it's just an. It, we should we should circle this one because it's an interesting argument that kind of just hit me while we're having it. Like, so was Milicic not going to play so the freshman could play? Like, someone has to play. Right? Yeah. So, I don't. No, I think I, my spoiler alert on that is that, um, you know, just like most places, the backup quarterback's the most popular player, right? Yeah, that's, I, think, I think that's what this is. At like, UVA, mostly. the guy who yeah. doesn't get more minutes that has potential is like, like think about it. Several years ago, Jay Huff would come into the game and the place would lose it, right? And remember all those podcasts we had to have where it was like, <laughs> you know, um, well, I mean, they were not very happy with him late in his career. Let's be real. Well, about I that. think the reason, and somebody brought this up on the board and they're 100% right, is that the reason that he was so beloved is that he's toolsy. Like he's a he's got like pro exactly. potential because he can shoot and he can move and he can do things. And, and what does some Igor guys Milicic can't. have? Yeah, exactly, exactly you know? the same. He's a very yeah. similar dude, big, tall, long kid who can shoot, right? And you wanted to see more of that because everybody thought, and in some cases, not necessarily wrongly, right? That having a guy with some length who could shoot wasn't a bad thing. The problem with Igor is that like he has so much potential and i and i and i wish him the absolute best with ron and and, and um vic and those guys in charlotte but like he that's not who he was game to game to game he was not consistent he couldn't do that if he could he would have played and i'm i am as much you know that's person, where it just comes down to how much faith do you have in your head coach exactly like and I'm, I'm as much right about thing. like there are definitely times where I'm like, man, I really would like to see some this kid get some minutes. But like if the kid leaves like, yeah, it's tough and it's and it, and, and it stings with the same token. You're like to your point, like if if he comes back and this is the you know, this is the team that it is for next season. No Vanderplas, but they do have Milicic like so was Milicic going to play or not going to play? Because if he wasn't going to play, what's you know, what are we doing here? Right. Mm-hmm. Is he holding the freshman back? Because otherwise, yeah, this is a win now. Down the road, could you see a scenario where three years in Milicic is a better player? Maybe. Like he's, you know, he's got a lot of tools. You know, he toolsy as a, as I just was as I just heard a term. Yeah, um, and it doesn't really work. Like I think sometimes, um, you know, like an NBA team that's like not really in the mix can just like experiment with their roster for half the season while they're tanking and just like figure out if dudes are good. Um, you know, like the Wizards are like, all right, let's see what Corey Kisper can do for 40 games right yeah like (laughs) you can do some stuff because there's no stakes um it's easy to say this now because we know how the season played out in in retrospect yeah it probably would have been nice to get igor some more minutes because ultimately what they do they didn't make the tournament with him not playing yeah but that's a good point that's easy to say when you're not like right on the bubble, which they were until the very end of the season. Yeah. So in some ways you almost wish they had been like further back. So you could have, 
you know, felt then like it's like, okay, maybe there. throw caution to the wind and get some guys in, in there and see what you can do. But true. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's a tough balance to strike and you don't like in college basketball, you don't get a ton unless you're like, uh, you know, eight and 20 or something like you don't get a ton of time to be like, let's experiment in yeah. games that don't matter. Like, like what yeah. games don't matter once you get to January. Matter. Right. All right. That's a good place to put a pin in it. Uh, we're going to come back to that discussion um, at some point during the off season. Cause I think we're going to have lots of, lots of time to discuss all kinds of things. If you're somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple podcasts on Stitcher on Spotify on overcast or wherever it is that you get your programs. And if you're so inclined to give us a rating and review, we appreciate it. Now, if you're somebody who found the pod has not given us a look at the website, yet, you can check us out at catscorner.com. Let's see. Right now, man, Virginia made the list for for two four star kids, uh, Starlings and Herd. Um, both of them talking about you know why plans, all that fun stuff. Uh, coming out of spring, Damon's got a story about Brendan Armstrong and how he can benefit from adapting to the new scheme. Um, the uh, there's plenty of video of him, Tony after the game, Tony before the game. Some spring recap stuff, all kinds of things on the website. So give us a look at CapsCorner.com. I want to thank My Perfect Franchise for their support of the website and of the show. You can visit MyPerfectFranchise.net for more information on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover their perfect franchise for you. And I also want to thank everybody out there for supporting the show and giving us a listen. And, of course, to Dave and Ferber for giving graciously of their time, as always. I very much appreciate all that they do. So for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. See you soon.